Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Well, amen. That is the question that we have been asking over the last several weeks, and we continue to examine today that question of who's your one? It's a question of emphasis for us because it's a reminder for us that even in this time of pandemic and even in this time of great uncertainty and and even, even fear for that matter, we still have a calling as Christians to be a light for the Lord Jesus Christ. We still have a calling as Christians to let our light so shine before men that they would see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Many of us as believers, we understand that calling of the gospel to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, but we get overwhelmed with a question of, well, where do we start? How do we begin? Who, who do we go to first? And I think what we're seeing throughout the course of this series is the importance of identifying at least one. Just starting with someone, some neighbor, some friend, some coworker, some relative that we are intentional to share the gospel with. The fact of the matter is in our day and in our moment right now, the world is looking for good news. All across the globe, people are longing and wondering and looking for good news. I saw earlier this week that even in the Google Trends, that three of the seven days of this past week, one of the top trending subjects was good news. People are wondering, is there any to be had? Well, of course, the truth for us as believers is, yes, there is good news. And frankly, we've had this good news all along. This good news is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of the world. This good news is that all mankind can be saved and rescued from their sins. This good news is that Jesus rose again from the grave and he offers victory and he offers hope and he offers life to all who believe in him. The question for us to consider throughout this series is, what are we doing with that good news? Well, if you have your Bibles today, I want to ask you to take them and open them there in your living rooms to Luke chapter 12. And if you don't have a Bible in front of you, that's fine. The words will be on the screen in just a moment. But Luke chapter 12 for our time together. I have to confess that at first glance of reading these verses, it seems that Jesus' teaching in this moment has very little to do with the good news of the gospel. It seems initially that his words have very little to do with this question that we're asking of Who's your one? And yet if we take the passage in its entirety, I believe what Jesus is speaking has a direct impact on how we answer that question, who's your one? The fact is, Jesus was speaking to answer a question that had been brought to him. In Luke chapter 12, there were two brothers who came to Jesus with a question. They were fighting about an inheritance. And frankly, they were wanting to know who should get the most. They were asking, frankly, a question that was motivated by their greed. They wanted to see who would get the most. And and Jesus begins to speak back into this situation, addressing the issue of greed. He then points them to how they should be living. In other words, Jesus looked directly at them, and he began to describe how man naturally lives. In our own selfish flesh, he showed us how man naturally lives. But then he showed us instead the solution And how he calls all of us to live. 
From Luke chapter 12 and our time together this morning, I want to preach to you on the subject, one focus. One focus. Listen to what Jesus says beginning in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 and following. The Bible says that Jesus told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I shall do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, listen to these words, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? Listen to Jesus' conclusion. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, listen to this instruction, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you'll put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom or barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. Some of us need to hear that this morning. You matter to God. Listen to this statement. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life's span? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself, not even him, like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? Do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations and the world eagerly seek, but your father knows that you need these things. Now listen closely. Focus in on the one focus that Jesus is calling us to. Verse 31. But seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One focus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time together. Would you speak to our hearts and lives to help us have the focus and ultimately the faith that you're calling us to have in this moment? May it all be for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One focus this morning. I want to begin this morning by asking you a simple question as you sit there in your living room and gathered around together, and that is this. In your life, what are you focused on? In your life, what are you focused on? Maybe you're sitting there right now, maybe, maybe a little bit of sarcasm about you, and you're sitting there thinking, well, pastor, come on. Of course, right now, I'm focused on you because I'm watching and I'm listening to the message right now. Well, that's not exactly what I mean. 
Maybe you hear that question about what you're focused on. Maybe you would admit that, that you've been focused on the news and you've been having the television on and you've been going on the various websites and you've been reading all the numbers and all the reports and you would admit that that has been your focus along the way. Maybe you would say, you know, I've been watching the, the money. I've been watching how tight things are going to get. I've been considering how my sales are going and how my job is, is unfolding. I've been focused on the people around me. I've been focused on all these things. The fact of the matter is there's a lot of things in life right now that seem to be stealing our attention. And I'm not saying we should ignore those things. I'm not saying we should dismiss those things. But I am saying according to God's word, there is one primary thing that the Lord Jesus Christ is calling us to focus on today. Maybe the bigger question should be this. Before this pandemic broke across the globe, before we began to experience things close to home, what were we focused on then? How were we living our life before all of this unfolded? Truly, what were we focused on? See, the fact is, I don't know all that is unfolding, and I don't know God's plan and will behind the scenes of it all, but I do believe in the midst of the challenges that God and his grace and mercy is allowing many of us an opportunity to hit the pause button on life, to examine how we've been living, to examine what we've been doing, to examine what our focus truly has been. See, in Luke chapter 12, there's a man who's focused, but his focus is on the wrong things. And we see it unfold in a very tragic way in his life. God in his grace and his mercy is allowing us to hit the pause to examine ourselves so that we don't live like this man in Luke chapter 12. One, focus. I believe wholeheartedly our focus reveals whether or not we are healthy or not. The things that we focus on reveal ultimately what's going on internally in our life. Back at the beginning of December, many of you know that my family and I, we were in a in a car accident, a vehicle accident. Our vehicle was completely totaled. And frankly, when, when everything happened so quickly, um, I, I think I kind of went into a state of shock a bit. I was working and moving and doing and getting my kids out of the vehicle, checking on the other driver without really thinking about myself. Just, I was in shock. The medics came and they checked everything out and they checked out my kids and they checked out the other young lady and and after a while, I began to notice that one of the medics was really watching every one of my moves. And he would, kept looking at my eyes, and he finally asked me to sit down. And then he did the age-old test as, as he put up his hand. He said, how many fingers am I holding up? And I said, 23. Of course, I was just being funny a little bit and being sarcastic because I thought I was fine. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to focus on my finger. And he began to do this test to follow my eyes. Why? Because he knew whether or not I could focus would reveal whether there was something wrong with me or not if I was truly okay. Our focus reveals a lot more about us than just how we're spending our time. It reveals ultimately the condition of our heart. It reveals what's important in our life. But frankly, so often we lose focus. So often we get distracted. And because we get distracted with things, we lose a sense of reality. And it causes us ultimately as Christians to miss the mission and to miss the purpose by which Christ called us. Many years ago when I was a child, I was about 10 or 11 years old. And at our church that time, at that time in Alabama, we had a bus route that would drive to various neighborhoods on Sunday mornings. We would pick people up that didn't have a ride to church. And we would bring them to the church to worship the Lord. Well, on Saturday mornings, our children's pastor, he decided that with this bus route, we were going to begin going to those neighborhoods on Saturday and inviting them to be a part. 
And so I remember many of my Saturday mornings between the ages of 10 and 11 going with our children's pastor to local neighborhoods where we would go and meet people and invite them to church and let them know the bus was coming the very next day. I remember one specific day that about 10 or 11 years old, we approached this house, and as we approached this house, there was a fence, a chain-link fence all around the house. I mean, all the way to the road, down the sides, and as far as you could see. But the fence is not what caught my attention. What caught my attention were about a dozen signs along the front that said, beware of the dog. Beware of the dog. And of course, 10, 11 years old, I was a little scared in that moment. I didn't want to come face to face with the dog, but I remember him looking at me and saying, you know, I've seen this house before. I've never seen these kind of signs. I think we're going to be okay. But he warned me. He said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to open the, the gate. We're going to go to the front porch. It's only about 30 yards and we should be fine. But if we hear the sound of a dog, we're going to run back and we'll be safe. I had every reason to trust him, and so sure enough, he opened the gate, and, and we began to walk down that sidewalk. We made our way about, I don't know, 20 to 30 feet along our path heading to the front porch when all of a sudden from the backyard, we heard this bark, and it was loud, and it was high-pitched, and we heard the scampering of this dog, and literally this dog began to run, and as it began to run, we didn't even see it. We just heard it, and he said, run, and we turned around, and like a scene from a war movie, we ran to get on the other side of the gate. I remember hiding behind him we were afraid I remember after that moment turning around to see the ferocious beast that had just chased us because I was certain we were going to get attacked to find a cute little chihuahua about 24 24 inches long just a cute little dog there see, see the reality is is that as far as I remember that and he and I joked about that for years we were so distracted by the signs and so distracted by the things that we saw and heard and felt that we truly miss reality. Many of us believers, we're so caught up in the fear of all the culture and all the things that are going on that we're missing the very mission and the purpose for which Christ has called us. Luke chapter 12, I believe that God has several things that he wants to teach us about this one focus. Three observations I want us to make this morning. The first thing I want you to see this morning is the foolish choice of many. The foolish choice of many. Verses 16 through 19, our text starts off with a parable that Jesus gave about a wealthy man. Though the parable was about a single individual, make no mistake about it, Jesus understood that the application of what he was teaching applied to all mankind. There is a message here for every single one of us. These two men, these brothers, had come to Jesus. They asked a question about an inheritance because ultimately they were dealing with the issue of greed. They were arguing over who was going to get the most, who would have the most wealth. Now, to be clear this morning, there is nothing wrong with having resources. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. It's not a matter of what you own. It's a matter of what owns you. The issue here that Jesus was rebuking was not the possession of wealth. The issue that he was rebuking was their mindset towards how they lived. And so Jesus gave this parable to describe this rich man and how he lived his life. The problem with wealth and success is that we often place our trust in it. We find our security in it. We base our name and our clout upon it. In fact, we, we tend to even think that we have a secure future so long as we have wealth. Well, Jesus points us to the reality that that's not true. The foolish choice of many. Notice in this pastor scripture, as Jesus gives this parable of the rich man, notice what the foolish choice, what those people long for. The Bible says of this rich man in this pastor scripture that he longed for something very specific. Now, to be clear, 
It is hard to fault the man for the natural desires and the longing of his heart. He, he, he was very productive. The Bible says that he had many lands, and, and his lands were very productive. They were very fruitful. And as they were fruitful, he began to consider, how can I take advantage of this? And how can I make sure things don't go to waste? But what he longed for was simply this. It could be summarized in a four-letter word. What he longed for was more. What he longed for was that, that what he had wasn't enough to satisfy him. He had no contentment in his fields. He had no contentment in the blessings of God. He had no contentment in the provision that God had given. He had no contentment in all the many ways that God had blessed his life. Instead, he looked very differently at it. He looked at the situation and he began to think amongst himself. He asked the question, what should I do since I have no place to store all my crops? He then decided, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to expand this, and I'm going to expand that. I'm going to grow this crop, and I'm going to grow that crop, and I'm going to be in a great position. Everything that he did made logical sense to his human reasoning and human understanding. But even though it makes logical sense, we see clearly that the longing in his heart was for more. He wasn't content with what he had. Instead, he clung to what he had, and he quickly realized it wasn't enough to satisfy, so he strived to have more and more. The foolish decision of many is that their longing is, I've got to have more. I've got to have this. I've got to have that. I've got to pursue that experience. I've got to have that possession. I've got to have more. The second thing we see is not only what they long for, ultimately, it's how they live how they live. In the very next verse, we discover the true motive behind the building of these barns. Notice what the man said. He said, I will do all this, and then I will say to myself, what did he say? I will say to myself, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be Mary. Oh, soul, you've done all these things. You, you've done all these things. And so enjoy it all. Relish it in. Soak it up. This is your life. You've deserved this. You have earned this. Well, there's a part of that that sounds a little bit good, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't it sound good to be in a place of security, in a place of blessing where you can sit back and relax and chill? I mean, doesn't it sound good to be in a place where uh, many of us think of this maybe in the vision of retirement? Hey, we're going to retire, and we're going to live life to the greatest. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Some of us, we think maybe of this image of maybe a, an all-inclusive type of lifestyle. You know, I think about how our world appeals to that. Just about every work-from-home thing I've ever seen in my life shows a picture of the, of the good life, so to speak, that you're going to have once you start making all this money and you're going to be able to eat, drink, and be merry and live life to the fullest because, after all, you have earned it. You deserve it. Well, to be clear, there's nothing wrong with a good retirement, and there's nothing wrong with enjoying an all-inclusive vacation at times in our life. But here's the point. The point is, is that this man was working simply for his own pleasure. This man was working for what he could get, what he could do. Ultimately, he was living his life, and here's the main focus. He was living his life to build his own kingdom. He was building his life for the things that he wanted, for the things that he desired, for the experiences that he wanted to enjoy, for the places that he wanted to go, for the barns that he wanted to have. 
The point is not about the money that you make or the possessions that you have. You can have absolutely nothing and still be as distracted and self-focused as the foolish man that Jesus describes in Luke chapter 12. The fact is, he was focused in living for his own kingdom. Unfortunately, our culture today feeds that very mentality. That very same mentality. Now, maybe you're, you're sitting here thinking, wait a second, wait a second, but I'm not a rich person. I'm not a millionaire. Like, I'm not the guy that has all the fields and all the barns and all the crops and all these different things. So how does this apply to me? The fact of the matter is you don't have to have all these things to have the same mindset as this man. Our culture feeds this very mentality. In fact, our humanistic culture constantly tries to dethrone God and exalt man. It's said in all kinds of subtle ways. Thank you, Burger King. Have it your way. You are your own God. You can do your own thing however you want to have it your way. It's said in all sorts of ways in our culture as they communicate, you deserve this. You've earned it. You've worked hard. You deserve this. Our culture is constantly striving to dethrone God and ultimately to exalt man. What the world is saying in its message is that you are, are your own God, so you should live like a God and do whatever you want. And sadly, in our culture today, we've largely given in to that lie. Even at times as Christians, we sadly give in to those temptations to think that we deserve something, to think that we've earned something, to think that our life in some ways is all about us and what we want. And those temptations have a devastating impact in our lives. We've largely built our lives upon what we want. We largely make decisions by answering the question, what do I want to experience? What do I want to see? Where do I want to go? Who do I want to talk to? What career do I want to pursue? What do I want to do? Where do I want to live? What sex do I want to be? What team do I want to be on? What hobbies do I like the most? And in all those questions, what we see is constantly the word I. It's based upon our preferences. It's based upon us and our pleasures without even realizing it. On some level, we've all been impacted by this temptation to build our own kingdom and to live for ourselves. Luke chapter 12, Jesus speaks of this rich man. But it then brings us to, I think, what's the most sobering part of this man's foolish choice that many of us unfortunately follow, and that is the third thing we see, who the foolish man leaves out. The foolish choice of many, who do they leave out? Notice what the scripture says. The Bible says that this man, this rich man in Jesus' parable, verse 17, he began reasoning to who? himself. In other words, who the foolish people leave out is that they leave out God. Picture the scene for just a moment. This man is looking at his crops and he's looking at his barns and he's looking at his fields. He's looking at the harvest. And here's what he says every step of the way. My fields, my crops, my goods and my resources. I'm going to put it all together in my barns. In other words, he is so focused on what belongs to him that he missed who it all came from. It causes me to ask a question, does it not you? Who is it that holds the whole world in his hand? Is it not God? 
Was it not God who made those fields and those lands? Was it not God that sent rain upon the earth? Was it not God that gave the produce and the harvest and the fruitfulness of the land? Was it not God who allowed the resources to build those barns? Was it not God and his blessings that had been with the man every step of the way? And yet this man, frankly, was so focused on himself that he missed the main person. He was so focused on the blessing that he missed the blesser. He was so focused on the goods that ultimately he missed God. And he went on building his kingdom how he wanted. After all, he reasoned, it's all mine anyway. Well, sadly, many of us live our lives that way. The fact is that it's easy to profess that Jesus Christ is Lord without actually living for him. Didn't Jesus actually say in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? The fact of the matter is this morning is that Jesus has spoken loud and clear about how we live our life, and yet so often we choose to go our own direction. We're too content to settle for making decisions about what we want to do instead of looking to the Lord Jesus Christ about what he would have us to do. We see that played out in a million ways in our life today. Simple and seemingly subtle, maybe insignificant decisions that we never seek the Lord on. We just pursue doing our own thing. We don't ask God for direction about whether we should watch that movie or not because, frankly, we simply want to watch it. We don't ask God for direction about whether or not we should join that travel sports team or go enjoy this pleasure over here because, frankly, we don't want to ask because we want to do what we want to do. We don't ask God for direction about maybe how we should serve or what we should give because in our minds, we already have our mind made up of what we want to do and what is too high a cost to pay. We often don't ask God for open doors and sharing the gospel because we're too afraid simply to do so anyway. We often miss out because in some ways, like the rich man, we're so focused on self and our will and our wants that we miss what God is wanting us to do. We leave God out. I want to remind you this morning that one of the signs of the latter days, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, is the Bible says that in the last days, here's one of the ways we will be known. Man will be known by his loves. The things that he loves will demonstrate that we're living in the last days. And listen to what they are in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. It says literally that men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Lovers of self, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You say, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying that unfortunately and sadly, even in the church today, there are many of us that along the way, we've become lovers of self. And I believe what, what's happening right now in the context of, of the world, and I can't describe every detail, but in many ways, I believe that God is allowing us to hit pause, to examine our life. Where do we stand with him? Do we truly love him even above ourselves? Is he first place in our life? Are we pursuing him and his kingdom? Are we pursuing our own? What are we focused on? This past week, I've heard testimonies. One brother in Christ who told me that God had really been convicting him, specifically in his family, because They've been so caught up in travel sports for the past decade. He said, man, I I realize how much time and how much money and all these things that we've invested there that really we could have been doing kingdom things that we haven't done and God's convicted me. Heard from another brother in our church who spoke and shared. He said, man, I, I didn't realize how I'd been missing the i kind of been missing the opportunity and the calling to shepherd my family and to minister to them well. I, I haven't been a, a spiritual leader in my home and God's been convicting me. 
spoke to another brother in Christ in our church who began to share about how they've built relationships with neighbors that they've never built relationships with in the past 20 years. And in the building a relationship, they're learning that many of the people don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior. Pastor, what's happening? What's happening is in the midst of the pause, God is opening their eyes to see things that he's wanting to do in and through their life. Please understand, in the stillness of this moment, God is allowing us to see some things. The question is, what are you seeing and what is he showing you? How is he directing you in your life? Second thing I want you to see in this text is this. We see the foolish choice of many, but secondly, I want you to see the final conclusion of man. Now, we see clearly how this man lived his life, but notice what Jesus says of him. The Bible says that he said to himself, soul, you've done all this. This is awesome. You're now going to live off the land, so to speak. Eat, drink, and be merry. Sit back, max, and relax, and enjoy yourself. But notice what his actual conclusion was. The Bible says in verse 20, but God said to him, you fool." This very night, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This man thought like so many others that he had his whole life in front of him. We kind of get the the impression that he was somewhat of a a younger or middle-aged man because he's thinking he's got a lot of years in front of him. He's going to enjoy every single one of them, and life will be good. This is what he always dreamed of. But his conclusion was very different. God said to him, this very night, your soul will be required of you. And all that you've labored for and all that you've spent your time and energies in is going to go to someone else. In other words, you can't take it with you when you go. The fact of the matter is this morning is that as we think about this reality, this man wasn't thinking about his death. He wasn't thinking that his time was coming near. He wasn't thinking that his time on earth was almost over. He thought he had plenty of time. But I'm reminded this morning that unless the Lord Jesus Christ comes back in our lifetime, every single one of us, too, will experience this conclusion called death. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says it this way, that it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this is the judgment. Now, I realize that's sobering. In our culture today, we don't like to talk about it. We don't like to think about death. We don't like to think about when that time comes that we breathe our, our, our final breath. And when we do think about it, we think about it in the most comfortable and easy of ways as possible. But the fact of the matter is, apart from Christ's return, the Bible says it will be appointed to man once to die, and, and after this is the judgment. In other words, it doesn't matter your race, your background, your color, your creed. It doesn't matter how good or how bad you live. The reality is, is that none of us will avoid this final conclusion, this conclusion of death. Psalm 139 says it this way, Lord, in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. In other words, apart from the return of Christ, there is an appointed day for your birth and there's an appointed day for your death. Literally, the psalmist said it this way in Psalm 90 verse 12, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Here's the deal. None of us know the number of days we have remaining. None of us know the years that we may have or the days that we may have or even the hours that we may have. And as a result of that, we must live every day and every moment ultimately for the things that matter in eternity. 
See, the conclusion of this man is that he thought he had plenty of time, so he lived his life ultimately for himself, how he wanted, what pleased him. But the Lord Jesus spoke of this man, and he said, here's what the Father says, you fool, this very night your soul will be required of you. Please understand that the Bible says it's appointed a man wants to die, but that is not the end. The moment of your death, the very next moment, your soul will go into eternity. And your soul will stand before God in judgment of whether you believe the truth, whether you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, or you rejected him. The Bible says it's appointed a man wants to die, and after this is the judgment. There is an after this. And Jesus begins to speak in this context to remind us that we must be aware of this fact. God's judgment will be accurate and it will be final. In the end, it will not matter what you have said or professed. It will not matter what is said about you. All that will matter is what God has said of you. What did Jesus say here? God spoke and he said, you fool." The Bible tells us in Psalm chapter 14, verse 1, that the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. This man didn't necessarily say that, that uh, there was no God, but he certainly lived that way. He lived as if there was no God. He lived as if there was no God that he would give an account to. He lived as if there was no God that he would stand before in judgment. And frankly, oftentimes we as a natural man, we do the same thing. We live our life not for God. We live our life not thinking about a day of judgment. We live our life not thinking about a gracious God who's made a way for us to be saved. Instead, we live our life focused on ourselves, pursuing our careers, our wealth, our influence, our position, our sports, our hobbies, you name it. The natural man pursues everything but God. Even at times as Christians, we can be so distracted pursuing things that are not eternal and things that don't matter that we miss the main focus that the Lord is calling us to. But I want to remind us all, none of us know how long we had to live. None of us know how many days we have. There will come a day that I will preach my last sermon. There will come a day that I've had my last conversation. But not only that, there will be people in our lives that we know that we interact with on a regular basis. We see them across the street every single day and every single week. And there will come a day when they won't be there. Because it's appointed unto man wants to die, and after this, the judgment. Even this week on social media, I had a friend from ninth and 10th grade reach out to me to, to say hello, a friend I haven't heard from since 10th grade. And as that friend reached out to me, he began to speak about another high school friend of ours that was killed in a car accident my senior year of high school. That friend that reached out to me this week said, I still can't believe that she's gone. I still can't believe that she's no longer with us. Here we are these decades later, more than I care to admit, and he's still thinking about that reality that it's appointed in the man wants to die and after this the judgment. Knowing that death is the conclusion for all, we must be intentional in every relationship, in every conversation, in every opportunity to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the encouragement of verse 25. Jesus said, and which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life's span? Don't worry about it. God is still in control. And if you know Christ your Lord and Savior, you have nothing to fear, which brings me to a third observation from the text. The third thing I want you to see then is the focused call of God. The focused call of God. Now, we read these words of Scripture and we see this rich man, how he lived his life for himself. He lived his life for his own kingdom. 
And, and the Bible says literally, Jesus looked at him and he said, you fool, this very night your soul will be required of you and all that you've earned, all that you've worked for, is gonna go to someone else. We hear that and we often think about what he lost. Oh my goodness, he lost all of his stuff. What a waste of his life. All this is going to someone else. But I'm convinced what's most important in this passage of scripture is not that he lost his stuff, but that his soul was lost. Warren Wiersbe says it this way, the greatest tragedy is not what the man left behind, but what lay before him, an eternity without God. I want you to consider the focused call of God. See, in the following verses, Jesus turns his attention away from the foolish rich man and now begins to focus on the hearer's of the parable. He begins to focus on the people of that day and frankly, even us here today. See, that was just a parable. It was just an illustration. And frankly, the conclusion for that man, it was gone and it was done. There's nothing that could change that. But Jesus knew that those who were hearing him in that moment, he was giving an opportunity to. Those who were hearing his words, he was giving in them a divine opportunity, a divine timing, a divine moment to hear the words and ultimately respond to make a decision. Ultimately, he was calling to respond by faith. He would call them not to worry. He would call them to trust in him. But he would bring it all to a climactic moment as he gives a simple, single-focused call. It must be the focus of every single one of us today. We see it in verse 31. Yes, there's all these different things. Yes, there are concerns. And yes, there's part of the rich man that we can all see in us as we live our lives oftentimes for our own kingdom. But notice what he says in verse 31. But here's what I'm calling you to do. Here's the focus. Seek his kingdom. Here's what I'm calling you to. Here's what I want you to focus on. Yes, I know the news is bleak. Yes, I'm aware there's a pandemic sweeping across the globe. I know there's fear and I know there's anxiety and I know there's worry. But here's what I'm calling you to do, Christian. I want you to seek the kingdom of God. I love Matthew's translation in Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Please understand that when Jesus says that we are to seek his kingdom, he is speaking of the kingdom in which God rules over the hearts and lives of those who trust in him and willingly submit to his rule in their life. We seek God's kingdom as we accept his plan of salvation, that we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We seek God's kingdom when we walk in obedience to him, to walk in holiness and to shine a bright light for others to hear and know the truth. We, sh- we, we live for his kingdom when we partner with him in his work of building the kingdom of God. Our focus today must not be on building our kingdom. Our focus today must not be on all the kingdoms of the world. No, our focus today, Christian, is to seek and to pursue the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Here in this crazy pandemic of 2020, God is giving us an opportunity to have a crystal clear 2020 vision on living our life for eternity, on living our life for the kingdom of God and not for our own. Think of it for just a moment. How often are we distracted by all the pursuits of the world. Not even just bad things, but like just different things in the world. How much of our conversation or time is spent talking about the weather, for example? 
Well, there's not a lot happening in the weather. It's not even snowing in Virginia right now. Not a lot to talk about there. How much of our time is spent talking and dealing with the issues of politics? Well, frankly, uh, there's a few political angles trying to spin this pandemic in one way or the other, but there's not a lot to talk about politically right now. How much of our time is usually distracted and spent talking about sports? And I enjoy it. Oh, my goodness, I, I, I enjoy it. But all of that has come to a screeching halt. God is allowing us time to focus in on his kingdom and his working. How much of our time is spent watching the, the, the reports of what's happening in Hollywood and catching up on the latest movie and seeing this newest thing and following this superstar? And yet again, all of its own pause. God is allowing us an opportunity to get our priorities right to where we're focused on him and his kingdom. God is giving us a moment of silence to rid ourselves of distractions so that we can get real with him and with ourselves. Here's the abiding question. Is God and his kingdom the focus of our lives or not? Are we living our lives for the temporary or are we living them for eternity? You know, this pastor scripture is calling us clearly not to build our own kingdom, living for ourselves, but to live for God's kingdom, our lives lived for him and for things that matter in eternity. That reality causes us to consider two questions this morning. The first question is very simple, and that is this. Right where you're listening from today, are you a part of God's kingdom? Are you a part of God's kingdom? The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 3, that a man by the name of Nicodemus came to Jesus and he wanted to know how he could have eternal life. And Jesus looked at him and said, you cannot be a part of the kingdom of God unless you are born again. And what Jesus meant in that moment is, unless you believe in him, unless you accept him as your savior, you're not a part of the kingdom of God. We're not a part of the kingdom of God by good works, by good intentions, we're not a part of the kingdom of God by the faith of our grandparents and the people that have gone before us. You're not a part of the kingdom of God simply by doing religious works of going to church and praying and meaning good for your neighbor. No, the only way you become a part of the kingdom of God is to believe in Jesus. Jesus said it this way in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, Repent and believe in the gospel. This morning, right where you're listening, if you're not certain that you're a part of the kingdom of God, I want you to know today, if you repent of your sin, confess them to God and turn from them, and believe in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross and rose again from the grave, you can know that you're saved, and you can know that you are a part of the kingdom of God, that no matter what happens on this fallen world, you're going to be okay because your soul is saved by God. This morning, if that's you, I want to encourage you right where you're sitting in your living room, would you pray and would you say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of your grace. God, today I confess my sin to you. I turn from it right now. I believe in Jesus that he died on the cross and rose again from the grave. God, right now, would you save me? Would you adopt me into your kingdom? If you pray that prayer today by faith, God will save you right where you're at. 
But it brings a second question. The question is not only are you a part of God's kingdom, the second question is this, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, are you truly partnering with God in building his kingdom? See, God's primary goal in this is that he brings glory to himself by the establishment, by the building of his kingdom. And that happens every single time a person believes in Jesus and turns from their sin. They confess him as Lord every time that kingdom is further established and built. The question is, is are we partnering with him in the building of his kingdom? Christians, there's a lot of things that we can spend our time on while we live on this earth. There are a lot of things that, are, that aren't bad things. They're, they're healthy things. They can be good things. They can be fun things. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But I want to remind you the most important thing is that we live our life for the kingdom of God, that we partner with him in this work. Here's what the apostle Paul said in Colossians chapter four, verse 11. Here's the way he said it. He said, these are the only fellow workers of the kingdom of God. Many of you have been reading through the New Testament in 90 days. This morning we read Matthew chapter 19 through 21, and we saw three different occasions where Jesus describes us, his children, his kingdom workers. He described us literally as laborers in the vineyard. You know what he's saying? He's saying we're partners together in this kingdom work. And because of that, God's kingdom and that work with him must be our focus, it must be our drive, it must be our passion in all that we do. This literally must be our passion that we consider, that we meditate on, that gives birth to creativity, that calls us out to faithful obedience to him. We aren't called to merely be kingdom participants, but partners together with him in his work of building his kingdom. The question is this, will we do it? Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.